Good morning. Please take a seat. It is good to be with you this morning. My name is Janice Wood. I am one of the pastors here at the Vineyard, and it's my pleasure to be bringing God's Word to you today. Um, you know, folks, we are officially, I think, into winter, um, although I prefer to call it the mopping season. I don't know about you, but in my house, particularly if you share your home with any livestock at all, and we share ours with three livestock or three items or troops, I don't even know what you call that, we have, we have three dogs. And uh, it's to the point that when they want to go out, I'm like, but do you really? Because I'm counting the paws that I'm going to have to wipe when they come back in, and that's just for those of you with math issues, that's 12. 12, right? I mean, 12 is an important number in the Bible. There were 12 tribes. There are 12 disciples. But I am telling you, I do not enjoy wiping down 12 paws because I contend that they are bringing all of the topsoil from my backyard into our home and uh, nothing is going to grow in my backyard. After this, I'm, I'm convinced of it. We even put rocks at the bottom of our steps because that's like the launching pad. You know what I'm saying? And uh, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't help. All right. Um, I'm going to talk about dirt today. I feel like God wants us to talk about dirt today, and so uh, let's just jump right into Scripture. If you're following along with your Bibles or devices, we're going to be in Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. You're welcome to follow along on uh, the screens behind me as well. And for those of you joining us online, I'm sure you'll be able to see this as we're going along as well. All right? Jesus is telling a parable. This parable shows up in three of the Gospels, and um, I'm going to be using the one, obviously, out of Matthew, but they're all very, very similar. But uh, if it shows up three different times, I'm assuming it was, it was important, right? All of the disciples remembered this one in particular, because it's a pretty simple one. Uh, it's pretty simple. Let's get started. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root." Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Listen then to what the parable means. I'm, I'm skipping down to verse 18. In between this is uh, some conversation between the disciples asking Jesus a few things, and then he explains the parable starting in verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, the seed, right, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they quickly fall away. They, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. 
Now, if you've been following along with us for the last few weeks, then you've heard our pastor introduce our word for the year. Our word for the year is yield. I don't know if you were excited about that. When I first heard it, I was like, oh no, this is going to be a year of submitting, a year of letting people into traffic. This is a year of, of, um, I I don't compromise. It's going to be a, you know, and and some of the words he's gotten over the the years have been difficult. Well, anybody here for inconvenient? That was a year and a half, wasn't it? I, so I, didn't, I don't know what to expect for, from the idea of yielding. But then I loved it when he broke down the concept uh, Sunday or so ago. And he said, yield also has the meaning. It also has the meaning of produce. It also has the produce of giving a yield. Crops and a field have a particular yield. How good was your yield uh, in that particular acreage? That's an important sort of thing. So I just love the idea that Jesus uses so many farming and fishing metaphors in his parables and teaching, which can I just say is a little odd because he was a carpenter. By trade, or at least he was a carpenter's son, you would think he would give like some woodworking parables, but there's not one. There's not one that involves a saw and, you know, planer. There's just none of that, right? It's, it's a lot of this because I would suggest that even though we are not an agricultural community per se, there's not one of us who doesn't understand something about a little plant or a little seed going in the soil and what it means for it to grow. A lot of us have house plants or, or flowers or bushes or something, right? Now, um, I am just here to say that even though I love all these metaphors, and I should love them because I grew up on a farm, I would have been a terrible farmer. I really would have been. I love the whole idea of farming, but I I am a terrible farmer, right? I, I mean, green plants, I can kill them faster than anybody. And I think it's so intriguing that this new generation, my daughters and their friends, are all into this, this plant lady thing, right? Everybody's got house plants, and there's little green spiky things everywhere, and not a single one of them makes a flower, right? They just want the green stuff. And I just, I'm here to tell you, I lived through the 70s. And we had philodendrons or something. What were those things called? Do you know what I'm talking about? These vines that never stopped growing and we like trailed them around the corners of our, you're looking at me like we have no idea. What macrame, remember macrame baskets and the whole bit? It's back, only it's new and better, okay? It's, it's new and better, I promise. But I can kill it. I can kill a succulent in three seconds because I water it too much, right? Or I can underwater something because I wait until it withers and gets brown and then I'm like, oh, are you thirsty? And so I'm I'm just, I'd be a terrible farmer. If I have it in a pot, my pot is too small. If I put it outside, things, you know, overrun it and I just, I'm not good. I love your garden because I can't kill it, But, but I wouldn't be very good about that. Jesus wants us to know, however, that God not only intended us to yield and produce a crop. In this particular parable, he lets us in on what will stunt or encourage growth. That's what he's doing in this parable. He's letting us in on what it takes to yield a crop, to multiply. But here's what hit me this time when I was studying it. The crop is affected by the conditions of the soil, not the condition of the seed. This crop is about the condition of the soil or our hearts, the parts that are receiving this. But the, but the seed is God's business because growth is natural, right? Growth is natural. If the conditions are, are right, you really can't stop something living from growing. And many people have tried, right? Babies grow. 
Grass grows, whether you cut it last week or not. Um, weeds grow. We are all growing. Some of us older, some of us rounder, whatever. We're all, we're growing. And, and unless the conditions are messed up, that's going to happen. It's, it's an expectation. Growth is an expectation. But Jesus in this parable is subtly inviting his listeners to consider this. What are the conditions in your life that permit or prohibit growth? What are the issues in your life that prohibit or, or permit growth? What affects the condition of the soil and that ultimately will affect the yield that comes from your life? Because I'm here to tell you this parable is about real estate. It's about real estate. It's about the dirt, the dirt you own, the dirt you, you, where you are and what it's like and, and where it is, location, location, location. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts John 1 at 14. If you don't know who Eugene Peterson is, he uh, paraphrased the entire Bible into what is a version that we call the message. It is not a translation. I wouldn't use that in terms of studying and trying to get down to what God's really saying. But if you need a fresh perspective on scripture and you get hung up on the big words and it's too dry for you, uh, goodness, it's a wonderful supplementary source. Go read the message because this is how he breaks down John 1.14 that we all know probably from an NIV as the word became flesh and blood. No, and no, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You're familiar with that verse. This is how Eugene Peterson says it. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. Moved into the real estate of your heart. Moved into the real estate of your heart. And now what's going to grow there? Because again, this is a parable about real estate. It's not about a seed catalog. Some seeds will naturally produce large, some less, some tall, some short, but all healthy seeds are going to grow if the conditions are right. We as individuals and as a church are responsible for spreading that seed, not making the seed. We're for spreading that seed, scattering it, taking the opportunity to scatter the message of the kingdom to the people around us. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And Jesus is explaining the environment where seeds, the message of the kingdom, will actually grow and ultimately reproduce. So this is a very orderly parable. So if you love outlines, you're in luck today. I didn't even have to make this outline. It made itself. Are you ready? We're going to have four types of seed and we're, or four types of soil and we're going to march through. Number one, the path. The path is hardened ground. The path is hardened ground, right? Now, what makes a path a path is traffic. A traffic. It, it is a, a path has to be a busy place because a path is worn down by the activity on that particular area of real estate. It's not a road. You could put asphalt or concrete down, call it a road, and whether anybody travels it or not, you still have a road. But if you don't travel on a path, it'll grow back over. So if you have a path, it means there's some busy activity there. There's people coming and going. There is traffic. Paths are habitual. I had a professor tell me one time, I have no idea if it's true, but I'd love to know if it's true. He said that, and I think he said the University of Michigan, but I could be wrong about the university and write about the story, or I could be wrong about both. I don't really care. But anyway, he said that the University of Michigan did not put down sidewalks when they opened up classes. They had built some buildings, and I don't know if it was a new area of campus or whatever, but they 
specifically did not put down, they just, I guess it looked like my backyard, just a big mud pit, I guess. I don't really know. And what they decided to do was wait and see where the paths appeared, right? Because if you're late for class, you're cutting across town. You know what I mean? You're, 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 you know, the shortest distance between A and B is a line, and that's what you're choosing. You're not waiting for... So they waited until there'd been some traffic, and then they took an aerial photo, and that's where they made the concrete. How smart is that? Why can't our... Why didn't we get that, like, in the state of Kentucky? You know what I'm saying? Let's just see where everybody drives, and then let's make that a road. That'd be a good idea. But, um, no, I mean, so... But that's the idea. There's traffic there. But here's what happens when things get hard. The seed never gets below the surface. It sits there for a hot minute on unforgiving ground, but then it's very easily picked off and it never settles in and germinates. It never really settles in. Because see, birds are opportunists. Birds don't dig very well, but birds can sense and see and uh, I, I don't know, to some degree, they say they can even kind of feel the vibrations for, for worms. They're, they're picking stuff off that's there. They can grab whatever is exposed and unprotected. Exposed and unprotected. So seed on top of a hard, dry ground doesn't have a chance. Before the word ever settles into the soil, before it ever germinates, it's picked off. And you know what? I got to thinking about this, and I thought, the strategy of the devil has always been to remove us from an environment where we will grow. His strategy has always been to swoop in and to take you out of an environment where you will grow. Just as he doesn't want the, the word of God to settle into our hearts, he wants us to be out of our good environment as well. So think about this as we go through this. How has the enemy been attempting to keep you from an environment where you know you will grow? How has the enemy been keeping your children from an environment that you know they will grow in because you just don't want to make them? You know that. How has he cut you off from being in God's presence regularly? The enemy wants to do that. How about this? How has he gotten you so irritated recently with the body of Christ that you're not even sure you can stand to be in the same building with them, much less small group? Whatever used to be an environment for growth, the devil has snatched you away from that. See, this is why I think the pandemic has taken such a toll on our spiritual life for so many of us, not just because we can't all be in the building on a Sunday morning because some of us are online, some of us are in here, uh, but I would suggest to you because we emphasize the importance of discipleship, the importance of life on life, person to person, spiritual growth, isolation has interrupted valuable relationships that encourage growth. Then encourage growth with us. And, and you know what? I am just here to say there's no excuse for that. There's no excuse for that. Did I tell you we're doing a small group study right now called No Excuses? If you're not in one, get in one. There's still registration options open for you uh, at, the, at the website. I'm telling you, there's no excuse for that. And here's why. Come on. Look at the century we live in. We can talk to people online, you can watch online, you can get in a small group online, you can get in a one-on-one -on -one discipleship, oh, you can FaceTime anybody you want. Here's a novel idea. Remember that thing that we use for a, a, a phone? It actually talks to people. 
Isn't that novel? You can actually talk to somebody voice to voice on that thing. When, years ago, when I was raising children and I was a stay-at-home mom and I was lonely in terms of my neighborhood, there wasn't anybody else in my neighborhood. I maybe didn't have a vehicle to go everywhere I wanted to go all the time and, and all of that. You know what? I burned up that telephone. I'm having a bad day. I'm talking to somebody who encourages growth in me. We don't have any excuse. We have no excuse to not do those things because we have that. Pastor Joe often reminds us that we are here for a purpose. He chose to orchestrate this day and this time. You are here for a reason. You are watching online for a reason. So let me say this. Starting point is coming up. Starting Point is our class where you can learn what we believe membership means around here. You can hear a little bit more about what we believe God has asked us to do in this community. And if you have been here for a while and you haven't gotten into that starting point, can I encourage you to think about that? Because here's the question. Is this where God has planted you in community? Is this where He wants you to connect in community? That's always my question when I'm teaching starting point. It isn't to get everybody to sign on the dotted line. I continually say, go ask God, is this where he wants you to invite, to, to get planted in community? Is this the field where he planted you? And if it is, can I say, you must dig in. You must germinate. You must not sit on the surface anymore. You have to get under the surface. You need to use your gifts because this is your field. This is your field. You were never meant to hang around on the top part of the path, on the hardened part of the path. You're called to put down roots and produce fruit, produce yield. Because the enemy can snatch you up as you're sitting on those hardened paths. Paths, again, are formed by patterns of behavior. So think about this. Where are the paths that have been forming in our lives? What is getting hardened by foot traffic because we're so busy to get somewhere? We're so busy to make a little bit more. What are the high traffic areas in your life where nothing of Jesus can ever take root there? Nothing of Jesus can take root there. Number two, the rocky ground, rocky soil, rocky soil, rocky soil is shallow ground. Now, I think when we think of rocky soil, I think the first picture we have in mind is maybe a field with a whole bunch of visible rocks sticking up and out like icebergs. But in reality, that's not what this means. What, in reality, what this means is a field that looks fabulous. Like, oh, that's a good place to build a house. And then you decide you want a basement and you go three feet down and bam, you hit solid rock right? In Kentucky, we know what that means. It just means more construction costs, right? Because now you've got to bust that stuff up. You thought you wanted a pool. Guess what? Now, you, you know, you've got a rock cistern is what you have, right? I mean, that's what that means. Shallow ground. That's what this rocky soil is. This ground looks good, but it lacks depth. Seeds get off to a surprisingly good start. Underneath, you hit solid rock. So the roots never penetrate, and they lack the ability to sustain growth during hard times. Can I tell you, this is probably not the place where you will find dandelions, depending on how deep that is. The reasons why weeds like dandelions are so hardy is because they send down an unbelievable taproot. Take a look at this. An unbelievable taproot. Isn't that crazy? That root is so much longer than the height of that plant is. 
And given a really hard summer, it will be even longer than that because it continually seeks moisture and continually goes down, right? That's a taproot. You can't use anything with a taproot in shallow soil. You don't have that. But guess what? There's a solution for shallow ground. There's a solution for the shallow ground problem. A few years ago, my husband and I uh, headed out west. You can throw this up. Uh, we were on our motorcycle. We went to the Vineyard Conference, which happens every other year, and this time it was in Anaheim, which is kind of the mothership of where uh, the Vineyard Movement began years ago. And so uh, we rode out there, and we had the chance to visit the Redwoods to, on the coast of California. If you have never been there, pictures do not do it justice. These trees are, I mean, they're, they're just, they look fake. It's hard to believe that these things are really there. They stretch up 300, 400 feet in the air. That's how big around they are. Uh, you can see for scale with the motorcycle. Um, but they're crazy, crazy tall. One of my favorite spots, though, was actually the Founders Grove. And in the Founders Grove, they are massive, massive trees, some of the oldest that they have. They're so big around. But here's what's intriguing about these trees. In spite of the fact that these trees get so tall, they lack a taproot. They have no taproot. A tree three to 400 feet tall, the roots might only go as deep as five, six feet, five, six feet. However, they will stretch out laterally 100 feet from the trunk in all directions. And as they stretch out, they intertwine with the root systems of the other trees that are nearby, creating an organism of support where they're all working and growing together, a giant interdependent organism by growing in groves dare I say congregations, by growing in groves, the trees support and promote one another's growth and success. You can combat shallow soil with community. You need roots. Friends, you got to have roots. But if somebody is new to the faith and they're struggling to go deep, they need to be in your small group. They need to be in a place where they're getting support from each other, right? Because if we can't go as far down as we want, we at least are going to connect with each other and give each other the strength that we need. Because when someone hears God's word with joy and they show green leaves, they're going to wither at the first sight of hardship. And so these folks tend to fall away quickly. Because here's the deal. Environments will get harsh. The sun gonna shine. The wind gonna blow. Winter's gonna come. It's not about eliminating a harsh winter. It's not about eliminating a harsh summer. It's not about relocating to Florida. It's also not about getting rid of COVID. We have to find roots in the harshest times that we have. This message is not about, the message of the parable is not about eliminating the harsh conditions. It's about finding root, even in tough circumstances. Third soil, among the thorns. Among the thorns. This is the weedy ground. This is the weedy ground. What I find intriguing about this is this is a piece of ground where something's already growing. It's already kind of a busy field, but it's busy with stuff that's already growing. These plants have started, but those are going to grow up and they're going to choke out the Word of God, making it unfruitful. So these seeds get started well. Clearly, the soil is good enough to support that, right? So they grow really well, but they get choked out. What chokes out your spiritual growth? By the way, this soil is also affected by community. 
All of those plants are a certain kind of community. And can I tell you that certain communities will choke the life out of you. Choose your communities well. Certain communities are, do not promote growth. As a matter of fact, those seeds are growing in decent soil, but the soil will also support weeds that have thorns on them. So Jesus points out two very broad but specific categories of things that will affect your spiritual growth and your ability to yield fruit and your ability to bring other people to Jesus. But ultimately, they're both distractions that keep us from trusting God. Number one, the worries of this life. The worries of this life, quite, quite frankly, worry will stunt your growth. <laughs> worry will stunt your growth. It will keep you from producing. It will keep you from bringing any yield. And I love the idea that Jesus mentions here, the idea of thorns growing up and choking out these branches. In, in my flower bed, um, shall I, bushes bed, I guess, there's a few shrubs. That's what I have. And um, in, in that, when I go out there every single spring, without fail, in this one particular spot, there is this thistle thing that grows up, and I reach in to get it, and it stabs me every year and makes me mad. Every single year. And every single year, I think, oh, I need to get that out of there. But if I'm too busy, if I'm not willing to go find my garden gloves or whatever it is so that I can pull that thing out of there, I usually just get mad and walk away and let it live another day. Maybe I'll strip a few leaves off of it just for meanness. But you know what I mean? But it's really not going to hurt it, and it's going to stay there. And it's not going anywhere until I get off my duff and go find an um, appropriate tool to dig it out, a shovel, and if I can't do it, I might even need some extra muscle for my husband to help me dig that thing out. Folks, worry is like that. Worry is prickly and persistent in our lives. I mean, we call it anxiety today. I think you can, you can apply anxiety just about any place that you see worry in Scripture. Worry cannot be topped off. We have to dig out the heart of whatever it is that keeps us from being able to trust God with those concerns, whatever those things are. And just when we think we've got one worry dealt with, another one pops up, right? It may take a shovel to dig out that persistence of worry. It may take help from someone else, someone else to counsel us through there, somebody else with muscle to help us keep track of what's going on and to get rid of it. Can I say this to you? Whatever it is that is giving you anxiety, the purpose of it is to keep us from maturing and producing fruit. The purpose of anxiety is to just keep us down, keep us, to choke us out from maturing and being fruitful in our walk with Jesus. But notice this, Jesus never berates us for worry. Instead, he invites us to cast all our care on him. 1 Peter 5, 7 and 8, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Don't, don't take it lightly, the, the things that are bothering you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I would suggest he is trying to devour us with anxiety. And we must be alert to it. We must keep sober about it. We must consider it carefully. But cast it on Jesus. So what are you consumed with anxiety about? The state of political affairs, COVID, vaccinations, your job security, your retirement, your schooling, a relationship, whatever that is. It makes sense to be anxious about things we can't control. That's a very logical thing to do. 
it's also logical to hand it over to the person who has control. That's the other logical option, right? We can't do anything about it. We know that. So let's give it back over to God. Second thing, the deceitfulness of wealth. The second thing that will choke out spiritual growth in your life is the deceitfulness of wealth because it's a liar. Wealth is a liar. It wants to lie to us. Money wants to lie to us. In 1 Timothy, Paul is talking to uh, um, his, his adopted son, if you would call him that. He considers him a son. It's not his real son, but he's saying to him, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with every, everything for our enjoyment. Here's the problem with wealth. It isn't wealth itself. It's the fact that wealth invites us to put our hope in it. When we put our hope in it, when we consider it as a security, and wealth presents itself as security, when you are drowning in debt, wealth feels like a life preserver, right? But wealth often behaves like a pool floaty with a slow leak or, or a, a, a massive leak, you know, depending on what the market's doing, right? You, some of us will watch money disappear in your, in your 401ks in, in a heartbeat, right? Wealth is, is elusive, but it, it just invites us to trust in it. But don't misunderstand that this parable is not aimed at rich people. However, I will say this about people who have wealth. It's very tempting to trust in it. It's very tempting to become and to feel self-made and then to struggle to trust God. I think that's why it's, it's, I mean, it's just an obvious fact among churches that people who are very wealthy sometimes struggle to tithe and bring their gifts to God because, you know, they, they don't really trust that. It's hard for them to trust God in that. They, they feel self-made. Poor people, on the other hand, bring to God and they're like, well, I didn't have enough to make ends meet anyway. Here you go. You know what I mean? I mean, sometimes it's easier for them to let go of what they have because they feel kind of lost anyway. All right. But the deceitfulness of wealth also affects people who don't have it. The people who don't have it. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy about them. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some, money, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs because the enemy convinces us that more is better. More will be secure. More will make us happy. More means we're winning. More is important when we have a scorecard. And if you're competitive, scorecards are consuming. You watch it all the time. Your mood is affected by the winning and the losing. Your mood is affected by how much you don't have. The comparison trap, bitterness over inequity, or the unfair aspects of our economy. Here's the thing. Some folks are always going to know how to make money. Some folks are always going to struggle with making money both of them are deceitful. Both of them, in both cases, wealth can be deceitful and you can find yourself distracted by it. That's the elusive nature of it. But here's another reality. Wealth brings responsibility. 
Wealth brings responsibility. Jesus told another parable about a master who gave his servant talents. Now, I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but let me summarize quickly. He gave different amounts of talents or money to three different servants. To one he gave five, to one he gave two, and to one he gave one. The master went away, and when he came back, the one who had five had doubled it in whatever investments he had put out. The second one who had two had doubled his, and, and he had gone, come back with four. And the one who had one came back with his one talent, and he said, here, I buried mine. The master was very unhappy with him. He was pleased with the first two and said, listen, because you have this, you can have more. But with the last one, he said, you didn't even put it in the bank where we collect interest. And he was very unhappy. And I always thought that was an unfair parable because the guy said, well, I was just afraid. I was afraid I would lose it. I was afraid you'd get mad if you came back and I'd lost it. And so he didn't want to, and to be fair, he didn't lose it. He had that. But the message here is clear. God expects yield. God expects us to put that seed out there. And what happens is going to be up to God whether that seed grows, but we are to, we're to put that seed out there. It's not enough to simply protect what he gave us. It's never enough to simply protect what he gave us. We are called to multiply, to make disciples, to bring others to Jesus. If all you can muster is an invite to watch online or Sunday services or join a small group, that's great, but there's no excuses. But here's what I also recently noticed in this parable that disturbs me a little bit. The guy who, who doubled what he had, he doesn't get to sit the bench now. God says, oh, great, you were faithful with that. Now I'm going to give you more. At first, that sounds like a reward. To me, that sounds like responsibility. Now I never get to quit. There's no 401k in discipleship. You don't get to like store up for the future so that you can, you can relax. We're all called to continually multiply and bring yield. No one gets to quit. There's no season on being spiritually productive. Finally, fourth one, the good soil, the productive dirt. This is someone who understands, right? Someone who, who understand, hears it, understands. The, the problem with the first soil was they didn't understand. Because here's the deal. Without understanding, you won't get started. Without root and community, you will not last. Without freedom from worry and ambition, you won't bear fruit. So how will you survive the hard places in your life, the trouble and persecution, the worries, the deceitfulness of wealth? It's going to be understanding. Understanding is integral to that. In Matthew 13, 34 and 36, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without a parable. So it was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things since the creation of the world. But then get this. Then he left the crowd that he had been teaching and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us. The, the parable of the weeds in the field. See, in order for us to bear fruit, we have to understand. I love it that somebody in this congregation told me one time, Pastor Joe can break it all the way down to stupid. And if that still confuses you, can I say, get in a small group where you can go in the house and explain it a little better and you guys can work it out a little bit more, right? That's the idea. Get into a, a place where you get the support you need for the worries of life. The challenge is somebody who will challenge you to soften the hard places in your life where you will get the accountability for where you've been deceived by pursuit of money, encouragement in times of trouble. This is the church. This is the field. This is not container gardening. We're not meant to grow alone in a pot. But listen, 
The goal is not simply a great community where we all vote the same way, where we all get annoyed at the same things, where we all eat the same food. That's not the goal. We're not trying to align ourselves in all of those peripheral things. We're aligning ourselves in spreading seed, the message of the kingdom to people out there who need it. The mark of good ground is fruitfulness. The mark of good dirt is simply the fruit. So what is the fruit of your life? Who is the fruit of your life? I have trees in the back of my yard and along the fence line. Didn't always know what kind of trees they were. You know how we found out? We looked around at the, on the ground at what showed up in the fall. I know what that kind of nut is. I know what that kind of nut is. Now I know what kind of tree it is. What kind of fruit is laying at your feet? What have you been producing? What kind of spiritual fruit are you producing? Who are you influencing for Jesus? Is it 30, 60, 100 times? Some of us will influence more than others. That's okay. But we all have that responsibility to yield. Folks, we're going to go into prayer here in just a moment. They're going to sing one more song. And while that's going on, if you're online, you can find the prayer chat button on the website, vineyardrichmond.com, down at the right-hand side. Somebody live is is there waiting uh, to pray with you. But I want you to think about this as we go into prayer. It's been a tough growing season, hasn't it? I think it's been a tough growing season. I hope this next one's a little easier. But for me, that means my roots need to go deeper. And maybe this morning, you just need somebody to pray over you, over the worries that are distracting you, over the pursuits that you're putting energy into that you know is making no room for God, over the places where you're finding paths and hardness in your own life, and the deceitfulness that if we just have a little more, it would be better. Let's come to our feet. If anybody in here would like prayer, don't leave today without having somebody pray over you. You'll find those folks out in the commons area.